Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everybody. I'm Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. <laughs> Welcome to the Invested Podcast. Things changed and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Interfaces <laughs> changing. And here we are to discuss a few different things today. Um, yeah, I mean, well, we could start with, you know, maybe Lou Simpson. Yeah, we just wanted to start with some sad news, which is that Lou Simpson passed away on January 8th. And he was um, Warren Buffett's right-hand man, really, for a very long time as an investor at Geico and handled the Geico portfolio for Let's see, twenty years, thirty yeah, years. He was he was managing about three or four billion dollars, and I, I love looking into three, how thirty thirty years, three decades at Geico. I love looking at how do they ran things. It's Lou had three people working for him, running several billion dollars. So if you're sitting out there thinking, oh, these guys have all these advantages of extra people and everything, it depends on how you invest. You know, Ray Dalio's got like three thousand people working at Bridgewater, but. Mm-hmm. that's a whole different world. They're doing macro type investing. The kind of investing Lou does is the kind we do. Um, we would call him a rule one style investor. He, he, after he left Berkshire, when it became clear that Buffett wasn't going to retire and that by the time he ever did, he would, there'd be a lot younger people than Lou to take over. Um, he started his own fund and we've been following him religiously all these years. He's a very, very good investor. And he would buy about 15 companies with several hundred million dollars, about the same way we do. And uh, and he would buy them with the same criteria, right? Understand the business, make sure it's got a moat, make sure you like the management team, buy it on sale. Um, not rocket yeah, science. Yeah, I kind of always wondered if they had a little bit of a rift, like when he left Berkshire, um, he said that he was retiring and Buffett gave him this massive send off and wrote in the letter about what an incredible investor he was and one of the greatest of all time. And then he basically one day later turned around and opened up his own fund in Florida. (laughs) And I always wondered if that was not what Buffett was expecting and if Buffett wasn't too happy with him. But then I was reading this obituary from Bloomberg And it says that when he, um, in the last few years, and I'm trying to find the spot now, he had money from Berkshire in his fund. So clearly there was no um, terrible ongoing rift. It says it included a Berkshire stake of more than $380 million out of $2.6 billion. So a huge part of it was Berkshire money. So Buffett came around and decided to invest with him again. Yeah. So that that was that was nice to know because I always wondered if they kind of had a little bit of a rift. Yep. He said, "I I like one one quote from him. It says we like to do a lot of thinking and not a lot of acting." He said, Mm. "A lot of investors do a lot of acting and not a lot of thinking," and that's Mm. absolutely true. Um, Man, which takes me to uh, the recent the recent news today that Activision, 
which is a company we have been very, very intently researching. Of course, we don't talk about this stuff before we really get all the way in. We might talk about it later, but we don't like anybody knowing what we're buying while we're buying it because we want it to go down, right? So we like to start buying a company and then have it go down from where we started buying it, not up, because we typically are doing By we, you mean you. Yeah, me. I feel like I say this every week now. (laughs) Well, I've got a team of three. Yes, but it's the two of us here. (laughs) It's the two of us here, so it's me. And I... (laughs) And, um, you know, we'd like to do a lot of thinking and a lot of thinking and a lot of thinking. And one of the things that is a real problem with that, that we struggle with, we meaning my analysts and me, um, and I think you to a certain degree as well, we've talked about this, is getting it done, right? Getting to the, I'm done thinking now and time to take action. Our our strategy is so based on, I mean, you know, facetiously, Buffett says it's like we're we're laziness bordering on sloth, meaning we don't do much. But the the problem with that is we sometimes don't do something when we should have done it, when when the time has come to act, and we're still dithering along, and that's what happened to us with Activision. Why don't you say what happened with Activision? Right. Well, Activision's this is act. This is the video game company Activision Blizzard. Right. Which. Was built by their CEO, and into this monster company, and then recently, people who worked there were accusing the CEO of conducting a an atmosphere of abuse. Of, of yeah, there's been a lot of problems yeah, there. Sort of sexual abuse. So the atmosphere. stock has started to go down. Has been going down for a little while. Yeah, there's there were the the wolves were howling for his head, right, to get him out. Uh, to pay the politically correct price for the evils of Activision's abusive abusive uh, culture. And um, distributors were talking like maybe we won't distribute their games, which would be amazing since those are the best-selling games in the world. But they were talking. And so people were saying, look, you're affecting our business. You've got to step down. And we were, and, and the stock just dropped like a brick. And we were hoping we could buy the stock. Our target price was around $55. And the stock got down to 60, 63. And it just kind of, in our in our world, it just sort of stalled out. We were looking at it. We wanted to do it. We did some options trades on it, but we, we didn't pull the trigger at 63. It wasn't quite at our price. But I mm. think that's the interesting part. Well, let me tell you what happened it real wasn't... quick and then we can dissect. Okay. And today... Microsoft announced it is buying the company um, at a price 50% roughly above where we could have bought it. So we're looking at something. We've made a 50% return in a month, essentially, from the time we started working on this thing. And I just didn't pull the trigger. And it wasn't because I didn't really like Activision. I, was, I studied it. I really liked it. I started to really understand. I guess the key word here is I started to understand the gaming mm-hmm. business. I wouldn't say I was like immersed in it fully mm-hmm. um the guys got me watching this uh series on i don't remember what's on netflix or something called mythic quest which is essentially a, a, a series about blizzard activision blizzard is that what mythic quest is yeah oh, i've it's never watched war, it war of worlds or whatever that game is called you guys are laughing i know at me right now because i don't do these games but World of Warfare or something either. like that is is this huge game by Blizzard. It's been around for a long time. 
your cousin used to play it maniacally all the I time. Know. And I know. Um, so, yeah, Mythic Quest is based on on that with all the things that happened. And I was getting a real feel for it. And then, you know, along came a time for me to write our annual letter and I got all caught up in that. And I just sort of acted, it wasn't quite at the price. And there's so many things I could have done, could have, should have, would have. It was about mm-hmm. a $4 million mistake for us it just by not taking action. And that's the downside of doing a lot of thinking and not a lot of acting is sometimes we just don't, discipline ourselves enough to finish the thinking and decide what to do. But so let's go through okay. that because let's, let's see if it was really a mistake or not. Okay. Because as I said, I find it very interesting that it did not get down to the price that you had identified as what you wanted to buy it at or what you were comfortable right. at. But we did, it, we did determine that this thing was at the bottom. We, all of the bad news was in. And if he left, the price would go up. If he didn't leave, the price wouldn't go down. It was just, we, we didn't see that the industry was going to dump this company. There was no way it could be like, okay, we're going to get rid of Microsoft. You know, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, we we so had determined bad. that we were, we, we would be willing to buy in here. We just didn't do it. But tell me more about that. So this is like a real life situation. You've said, Let's make up the prices. I don't even know. Um, 60, 60. I want to buy it. Say. Okay. It was at 62 yeah. and you wanted to buy 55. it at 55. Yeah. So that is not a huge no. difference, not a huge separation percentage wise. But is it more important? Like what's the plan ahead of time? Is it more important to wait for the price to get to that exact number that an investor has identified or is there kind of like a 10% wiggle room? Like to me, this is where predefined rules are really important. It is super important. And I wish I could tell you that we we were, you know, firmly, uh, you know, standing on a foundation that wouldn't shake no matter what was going on. Um, you know, by contrast, we looked at another company, I won't discuss the name of, where it got down into a similar situation um, for different, entirely re- different reasons, but it got down there a long way from where it had been priced. And we were very interested in buying it. And it got, it got to our first margin of safety trigger, right? Which I think, I think it was the, um, the payback time trigger. Mm-hmm. And um, we pulled the trigger on it, took a tranche. Okay. So we did that right. Then it went up. And we thought, ah, man, all the news is in, you know, all the, just like I just said on Activision. Okay. On this one, all the news Mm. is in. It went up, Mm. it went up about, oh, I don't know, 5% or something. And we, we just loaded up the truck. Okay. Let's take our full position here. And, you know, we've got a nice margin of safety. We're just slightly out of the margin of safety price. And it's headed up and it's not coming back down. Basically, don't want to miss it. It's don't headed up. It. Let's just buy the okay. rest. So here's of the it. other side of this kind of thing. Don't want to miss mm-hmm. it. Don't have a crystal ball. All right. Mm-hmm. Virtually two months later, the stock price was down 40% from there. Oh, All right. Yikes. So more bad news came in. And, yeah. um, and then we bought another big tranche. And 
So you found more. We money. just went. We Cause just you took, already because you had already spent your spent allotted, allotted budget. Chunk, and I just went. We we have to buy in more here. So we got in very very deep at that point, and um, reduced our effective mark to market loss in, in that calendar year from about forty percent down to about twenty five percent as a result of the the second large buy in. Um, but we're still down, right? Down a chunk on there. And so there's the other side of it. And so we learned, okay, well, th- what you'd learn from that is, oh, be disciplined. There'll be another opportunity. All the bad news isn't in yet, <laughs> right? But then I just remember so well, another company I bought into BP oil years and years ago got smoked in this huge oil well disaster out in the Gulf of Mexico and um, I determined BP wasn't going bankrupt and bought into it at, I think, 27. It had come down from 60. Bought into it at 27, sold options at lower prices at enormous gain, and then the thing went up. And I chased it, buying in at 30, 35, right? Got it. And, um, and it didn't come back down, period, for years and years and years mm. and years. So we, And we sold mm. out of it at around 50. So that's... That's just the other side of it, you know. We've had the experience repeatedly of being right that this thing, this thing is in the margin of safety. It's bottomed. It's coming out of it. We need to finish it up here. And I generally teach that that's you're not wrong to do that. That is the right answer. You need to get loaded up before this thing leaves the margin of safety. And effectively, what I what I like to tell people is that if you've got a ten dollar bill and it's on sale for five dollars. And you end up buying it for five and six dollars as it starts to go back toward ten. If it drops to three, there's nothing to feel bad about. But we just emotionally mm-hmm. do, right? I mean, you can't help it. And what you should be yeah. doing is looking for more money to buy it at three. And that's what we did in this previous yeah. one. All right. With this one, I was waiting for it to get to our price. Then I determined again that this is probably not going to get there. This the news is in. And you remember, by the way, Whole Foods, right? Whole Foods is the same kind of a deal. It had come down. Totally, totally. And we were trying to get that it was, at 30 and it wasn't coming down. And It's the analogy I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah, exactly. Because that was my first ever stock purchase. Yeah. And well, in this in this world, when I actually knew what I was doing at all. And, um, and I remember it did not come down to the price that was the margin of safety right. price. And I didn't know what to do. And we talked about it. And you were like, you know what? It's still a good price. And I decided I was comfortable with that. It was still a good price. And just went for it. And then obviously sold to Amazon. Like, what was that? A few months later. Six months later or something. Very short time. Yeah. I don't know if you remember what I did. Obviously, I had no idea that was going to happen. I bought it intending to hold it for like the rest of my life, basically. (laughs) And and so I struggle a little bit with this thing of like, oh, I made a mistake because it got sold really quickly and would have made a huge profit when maybe there's no way to know that that's happening behind the scenes. Like maybe you would have held that stock for a very long time. And that obviously has to be the plan when you're buying something. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. 
complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So, so that I think I'm, I'm sort of like really interested in this question because it is a real life conundrum that probably every single long-term investor deals with. Okay, it's close to my price, but it's not there yet. How close is close enough? Yeah. How close is close so, enough? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, because I'll tell you what I, I did you know, on I Whole go back Foods, to like actually. Okay. What I did on Whole Foods, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I did what I call a uh a ratio rope. Have you do you ever remember me saying a ratio rope? No. A ratio ROP. <laughs> so it's a ratio rule one put. Oh my God, you with your names. I know, I love it. Because we, we name these things because they don't exist out there otherwise. <laughs> they don't have, there's no parallel. Nobody does this stuff <laughs> except Buffett and us that I've ever heard of. Even other, other hedge fund managers, I don't think, do a lot of these. But this was, the, the idea is you know that you, you trust that or you believe that this stock price is not coming to the margin of safety. It's it's floored and it's not coming down okay. where you want to buy it. And what okay. I did there, where you just bought the stock, what I did is I bought the stock also. And then I think I bought it. Do you remember the price offhand? No, I don't remember numbers. I think it was I like 35. Given up on I was, feeling bad. It was about roughly that. 35, some, maybe 33. Anyway, I wanted to buy it at 29 or 30. And so I bought a tranche of it, a big chunk of it at, let's call it 35. And then I sold a ratio number of options, um, option shares in a ratio to the original shares that I bought. So just in round numbers, let's say I bought 10,000 shares, okay? Mm-hmm. If I bought 10,000 shares, then what I want to do is sell a ratio to that some ratio in the range of two to one or three to one. Not okay. so much that I would have more than I wanted if I get put the stock and end up buying it all. Um, but enough to bring the stock price from 35 down to 30. And in this case, it didn't take a lot. So by selling a long-term option, like a year and a half out, um, at the strike price of 30, which would obligate me to buy the stock at 30, which is what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. in the first place. So I don't have any risk mm-hmm. on the option. I want to buy this at 30. But by selling it that far out, I think I got paid like $2.50. So don't take these numbers literally, but they're, they're, you'll get mm-hmm. the idea. Mm-hmm. $2.50 per share. So by selling two shares of that for every one that I own, I got $5 for every share that I own. Right. Okay. And that made my, and I got paid that right away. So my new basis or what we call the adjusted basis on whole foods became $30 instantly. So literally in five minutes, I bought the stock, sold the calls, got that five bucks a share and, um, was down at $30 a share in terms of my basis on that stock. And now there's only two things that can happen over the next year and a half. The stock price could go up, in which case I am not going to get put those 20,000 shares, Mm -hmm. but I'll make a profit eventually on the $30 a share I have for a basis in the 10,000 shares I own. Or Mm -hmm. 
the stock price goes below 30, in which case I will buy those 20,000 shares at $30 a share. And then I will have $30,000 or 30,000 shares of stock at $30 a share at the margin of safety price. So it works. Okay. So that's the part I was wondering about if you end up getting put the stock. So it works if you want to buy those additional shares. shares. And you've reserved, you've covered those shares. You've reserved Mm -hmm. the money for Mm -hmm. it. Okay. Yep. Now, so, and by the way, if you are an investor with at least $100,000 in an account, they will usually, the broker will usually give you um, what's called portfolio margin, where they know you've got other resources that can pay off a margin call, and they will not hold that capital for those 20,000 shares. That's where things get dangerous, though. It really, that's where people get in Only trouble. if you can't borrow the money, right? Only yeah. if you only if you can't yeah. get the money to replace it, and that would only <laughs> yeah. come in. That's but that would point. only come into play <laughs> if you can't sell anything to cover it, right? Right. And, like as in like a giant stock market yeah. crash. Yeah, and your broker won't let that happen. That's the other fun thing about this is your broker is like it'll your automatically nanny. sell it off. Yeah, the broker is yeah. going to give you a little margin warning and say, you know, ten, nine, eight, seven. If you don't get this done by the time I get to zero, we're doing it for you. And um. And typically the the way they look at it is that you have a kind of a standard deviation um, on options trades that moves toward 99% deviation. That's like three standard deviations off of the mean in the off of the middle of the price of the stock. And typically they'll give you portfolio margin if your strike price is a full standard deviation out of the market, which if the stock is at 35 and your strike price is at 30, typically unless there's a lot of volatility, that would be well out of the market. In other words, it'd be a below a 67% probability of, or rather, uh, yeah, let's say it right, above a 67% probability that you will not get put to stock. So there's some there's some things you, you need to know about portfolio margin. But in general, you can play that game and be in a very safe place relative to how it looks. It looks dangerous because you oh, might get put the stock and the stock's now at 28 and you bought it at 30 and now you've lost money, but we don't play that game. We want to mm-hmm. own it at 30. We think ultimately that'll be worth mm-hmm. a lot of money. So that's what I did. And I ended up, of course, being able to sell those shares for 42. And I also got, the, got to keep the five bucks. So what I did was take a $35 to $42 profit and turn it into a $30 to a $42 profit. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense? So Yeah, totally makes sense. When we come back to Activision, we were busy doing something like that, but I didn't actually buy shares. What I was doing is we were close enough to our margin of safety that I could just sell the put options and try to and hope to get put the stock at 55 if it came down there. And one of the mm-hmm. very frustrating things about that is, of course, now I'm not in where I can have margin. I have to actually have the money held by the broker because I'm so close to the to the money. Oh, and so yeah, now I've yeah. committed those funds and I didn't actually get to buy the stock. So I ended up with a, <laughs> I got a dribble of a profit from the options <laughs> trade instead of a river of profit from the stock. And that that's why I'm a little bit conducting a, you know, post-event uh, you know, review yeah. here to just kind of go, what 
what could I have done differently? Well, just to further the comparison, also in the Whole Foods situation, that was a founder-led company, founder-CEO, wanted to take care of that company, sold it to essentially the equivalent, you know, Bezos versus Gates. Um, Excuse me. Probably through just calling him up, probably through just knowing each other and and saying, hey, like, here's a great opportunity. Will you take care of my company? We don't actually know that, but that's my personal conjecture. And I would guess that this is roughly analogous to what's happened here, where this, this is somebody who wanted to, he knows he's built an incredible company, he's got issues, and he wanted to send the company to somewhere where hopefully it would be able to continue on and grow in a very different culture and get a lot better um, and be bigger and better than it ever has and, been, which Microsoft is is a company that can do that. And both of those guys, you know, products. Bobby Kotick did as well, said, hey, and I want to stay on as CEO. Part of the deal. And Microsoft mm-hmm. said, okay. Well, with Whole Foods, we don't actually know which way that That's went. Right. We don't know. But he if, wasn't actually CEO uh, at that guess. time, anyway. He was sort of professor emeritus. He was. He was CEO. Was he really? No, Mackie was he CEO. Yeah, he left over? for like he left for like oh, two right, years, yeah. and it was in going so badly that that's he came right. back <laughs> to try to yeah, save it. I'd forgotten. He jumped <laughs> back in there. Um, in this yeah. in this case, uh, and and that's the other point of a little bit of frustration at myself is that this is a very analogous. On hindsight, this is such an obvious analogy or parallel situation to Whole Foods, which we've gone through. And here we got a guy who's fighting to stay on as CEO. He doesn't want to leave. This is his baby. He built it. Mm -hmm. Of course, I should have thought, he's going to go after a white knight. Of course he will. And the, 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 the reason that that would have been a good thing. Necessarily something you should have thought of. None of us even brought it up. We, none of us thought of that, which is not great thinking we should have at least considered it and had we considered that i think we might have moved because had we realized that as a fairly obvious thing for him to be thinking if he pulls it off the stock price is going to jump overnight it's not going to be a gradual rise up to something it's going to go boom and eh, we didn't i think it. the more i'm around the more i think founder led companies are different and being really aware of that difference between a company that's that's somebody's baby that they've taken from beginning to being public is such it's a different animal it's a different management it's a different feeling not always for better sometimes for worse but just different than a company that's had six different CEOs for hire and a board that's there because they all met at the charity circuit or whatever. I, mean, I think you're right. And I think that if I were to just generalize, I would say that the non-founder led companies, what the management team is doing is heavily weighted by what's good for the management team. And with a, f- the non-founder led companies are weighted towards the management. And, and yeah, the founder yeah, companies are weighted toward the company. I'm, I'm thinking of another one that we, yeah, we tried to get this one. This was Sanderson Farms. Well, and let's 
And, yeah, go ahead. And uh, Joe Sanderson is a friend of a friend of ours and uh, kind of through the horse world. And she raves about the guy. He's a fabulous guy, you know, third generation Sanderson founders of this huge chicken production company. And uh, this has been a rough year for chicken, up and down and all kinds of stuff with them. And we were trying to buy, uh, when things were rough, at around 90 and it just got down to around 110 and it never quite got there. Again, the great frustration of not being willing to pull the trigger until it gets to our price point in a market that's just ragingly high, high priced. I've had this happen so many times. So here's another one. Um, and, you know, basically I bought it and traded it because I didn't, I, we, we're doing what we call a rocket trade, a rule one cash trade. Here's another one of my acronyms, rule one cash trade, <laughs> which is essentially um, selling a put on the on the company, being obligated to buy it. And when the stock, put it very near the, the stock price. And if the stock price wanders down, and oh, and these are, these are very quick, they're one week trades. Um, stock price wanders down, we get put the stock, we immediately sell calls on it. Um, at the price that we bought it and sell the call, sell the call, sell the call till the price goes up and we get called away and then we sell the puts again. And so we do that over and over and over again on a company. It works extremely well for cash flow with very little risk on a company that's going sideways. And Sanderson went sideways for a long time. So we, we did well with that. Hmm. But then, of course, when it takes off up to what we thought it was worth, which is around 180, you know, we're trying to buy it at 90. You know, then you sit there going like, eh, crap, you know, <laughs> and they got bought out at like 200 bucks a share or something like that, 203, I think. And um, so that's another founder, another founder led company, company. You're saying? he basically was like, the industry is getting so tough now. Uh, costs are going up. Wages are going up. Everything's going up. This has been a, you know, I've been struggling with this company my whole life. I don't have any kids that are interested in taking this thing and running it. It's an obvious move, right? And he sold it to, who did he sell it to? There's Tyson Pilgrim. I don't know. He sold it to somebody. It hasn't gone through yet, by the way. They're looking at it for restraint of trade problems in the federal government. It's like they're afraid of consolidation in the industry. And the mm-hmm. Biden administration, to their credit, is very aware of the massive amount of consolidation that's happened because of low interest rates, providing enormous amounts of mm. basically free money to buy companies with. And you don't care what you pay for them because you're a CEO that wants a bigger company so you can get a bigger jet. And the consolidation has been extraordinarily uh, huge in American industry. And the Biden administration, kudos to them. Uh, this is probably the one thing I might agree with Elizabeth Warren on is like something needs to be done because small business is having a hell of a time trying to compete with these guys. And yeah, absolutely. Not to mention the fact that they get so big that they no longer are really thinking about the country they're domiciled in. They are an international company and they sort of outgrow their own country. And there's a certain danger to that. As you see in the tech industry, sourcing everything to China, for example, then all of a sudden you've got a perhaps not friendly nation having the keys to your industries. To your supply yeah, chains. Your supply chains, yeah, maybe absolutely. even to your steel, maybe to, you know, to raw resources. Uh, so that turns out to be rather dangerous in a world that isn't all kumbaya all the time. So that this is something yeah. I think really is 
I don't have an answer for it. I, I do not like the fact that Walmart took over the world of, of small uh, towns around America and wiped out their downtowns. You know, that, as I'd spoken before, Alabama is full of boarded up little towns. And, uh, and that's kind of sad. So, I mean, the idea that you're basically going to beggar your neighbor to get better prices out there for a hammer and a coat is just not a great notion. And, but these corporations do it because that's what they do. Yeah. So they'll keep doing it until somebody steps in and says, in many ways it's their job. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's, um, I think it's normal for business to try to grow. That's what they need to do. That's yep. their job. Yep. And there can be other restraints that are normal and healthy on that ambition. Yeah. I think just something um, as simple as saying, nope, you can't buy anybody. Sorry. You can grow all you can grow, but you can't acquire the market and become a monopoly. Sorry. Yeah, it could, could be just that. be that. Sorry. Antitrust litigation, by the way, is like the most interesting is it really it's so fascinating yeah it's it's wild it's like filled with arcane legal stuff and you have to be a complete expert to play in that world um but as like an outside observer it's super interesting to see how companies make arguments for buying companies or not buying companies and that's really what it comes down to is this in the public interest or is it not it's, I mean, it's it's this huge public policy argument at all times. Well, it's, but they do it based on like legal it, precedent, so it's really, really, it's really intellectual. It is fascinating to me as an investor that sometimes we we look at politics and we can have a point of view, of course, just as a citizen. But as an investor, it's fascinating to me to kind of see that this area of business might be the one place where these violently opposed political parties now who have gone grown farther and farther apart and are both kind of responding to their radical wings. That's the one place where they might meet in the middle. You know, I can totally see a bunch of conservatives being pretty concerned about massive corporations that are international in scope, just taking over the world. Right. I would think anyway that they should be concerned about that. If they're concerned about big government taking over the world, they should be very concerned about big corporations taking it over. So maybe there's a point of yeah. agreement here where, you know, an Elizabeth Warren and a Ted Cruz would get together and, and put a bill together. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> yeah, that would be Come on, amazing. Ted and Elizabeth. <laughs> Let's try to, try, to, try to do something together. It'd be kind of nice. Anyway, you guys, okay. that's kind of it for today. All right. Thanks, you guys. And um, we'll see you yep, next time. Time to go play. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.